this is a young team. We're on the cusp. All right, we got to add some pieces to what we're doing here. Pierce running right, spin move, barrels his way down to the 41-yard line. What a run by Pierce. The type of players that we're looking for are players who are looking to swarm. Intercepted, Christian Harris. Game day is every day. Picked off by Steenley. Petrie, Texans have the ball on the pick. The takeaway train is rolling. And if you want it, you got to go work. Now, it's Texans All Access. Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program. Mark Vandermeer with you with John Harris, and it's Thursday night, and that means the general. John McClain joins us as well as we are in the remote Hyundai Texans radio studio. Such a pleasure to have you with us tonight because OTAs are getting started. It's a great time of year as off-season practice is underway, and general... See if you agree with me on this. This is the real training camp. These weeks, this nine-week program these teams have, this is actually training camp. When we get to training camp, it's two weeks to go before the first preseason game. They have virtually everything in by then. I know they put in some more stuff, but this is where they're doing the real training work, the stuff that used to take place in the six weeks plus that you had in the various locales back in the day with the Oilers and things like that. Now they do it all this time of year on campus of the various NFL franchises. Good evening. Your thoughts on that? Well, I'm writing a column for SportsRadio610.com right now about this and going over all the rookies and what can be expected of them. Their heads are spinning, of course, now that they get on the field with the veterans. This is all about the mental part. They can't put on pads. They can't hit. They play patty cake. But it's where people find out. The guys they drafted, who can learn the fastest, who can learn the best, and who has the best chance of developing the quickest of all the new players they brought in and all the players returning from last year. General CBS Sports, Mark and I talked about this the other night, put out their predictions uh, record-wise for the Texans in 2023. And they came up with the Texans finishing second in the division 7-10 7-10 and 10 with the Titans, I think, a game behind, and the Colts at 4-13. and 13. A, your thoughts on 7-10 and 10 for the Texans. B, your thoughts about the Texans finishing ahead of the Titans and Colts. Well, everybody's playing for second behind the Jaguars, but the last time that happened, when the Jaguars almost went to the Super Bowl in 2017, everybody picked them the next year, and the Texans went 11-5 and five and won the division. And... uh now, I don't think the Texans are going. I know they're not going 11 and 5. It'd be impossible. But the other day on our Utopia football podcast I do with Sean Pendergast, we went over the schedule. And I'd been saying if they could win six games, double the win total from last year, people should be happy. I got down to three games left, and I'd already picked them to win seven games. And I'm like, whoa, I got to pump the brakes here. And it's it's there's no nothing wrong with getting excited. There's nothing wrong for getting your expectations up. But people have to be realistic. But the schedule and is much easier, third easiest in the league based on last year's one loss records. Last year they played the NFC East, AFC West. The six games they lost by one score. Those six by an average of five point eight points a game shows you how close they were to winning a couple or three more games. And then there were four more. They were within a touchdown in the fourth quarter and lost against better teams because they just didn't have the talent. So if they can do that last year, 
despite being in a state of disarray. Imagine what they'd be capable of this year. But, you know, they'll be starting a rookie quarterback. Rookie quarterbacks are going to take their lumps. And uh, but uh, it's still it's 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 interesting and exciting to look at that schedule and see if they just make a little improvement, how many more wins they could have than last season's three on the hills of four and four. General, we'll get into quarterbacks in just a moment here, but let's talk about the running game for a moment in this system led by Bobby Slowick. And when you look at the stable of running backs they have, and I'll include Valade, the rookie from Arizona State in the mix, the undrafted free agent. How do you think it all goes down? D'Amico Ryans was quoted on that Chris Long podcast saying it's by committee. Of course, of course, Damian Pierce is going to be the bell cow here. But how do you see this running game shaking out? Uh, and what is Valade's first name since you didn't pronounce it? Xavier. Is that all it is? Xavier? Okay, Xavier Valade. That kid was pretty good. You know, he had a he what three did he have three thousand yard seasons at Arizona State? And that third job is open buying Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary. You know, Singletary started the last three and a half years for Buffalo. He's a really good receiver. I was watching a highlight film of him and he is elusive. And uh signing him was a tremendous deal by Nick Casario to go behind Damian Pierce because we saw last year when Pierce went down, they were destitute. And having those two guys, and I'm guessing it'll be like 70-30, 65-35 between those two guys. Singletary's a really good receiver. There's no need to put Pierce in that role as a receiver, especially with the way he attacks and punishes as a runner. And that's his style, and he's not going to change it. I think he's incapable of doing it. And that's one thing they love about the guy. So I think with Bobby Slowick, you know, this is the offense Gary Kubiak ran. It's the offense Kyle Shanahan. They all got it from Mike Shanahan. And uh, and and uh, Bobby Slowick was nine years with Kyle Shanahan. So we're going to see him do the zone blocking, the zone running. You know, they like to throw the ball down the field and use the – play action game and they had playmakers in San Francisco and they had George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk. They had acquired talent to make plays. And that's one reason Brock Purdy did so well is they didn't make him do things he wasn't capable of doing. And he had a lot of great talent around him. And something that got my attention this week, and I'm, don't know if y'all saw it. It was Greg Cosell from NFL Films, who is, the to me, the foremost authority on quarterbacks. And uh, Doug Farrar from uh, Touchdown Wire, they do a podcast. And Greg Cosell was going on and on about how C.J. Stroud should be perfect for this offense that Bobby Slowick is putting in. And they, and they listed the statistics of what Stroud did when they used motion at Ohio State and he rolled to his right, took three steps and threw. It was fantastic. So expect them to use motion like they did because that's what the 49ers do. And uh, I'm really, really excited because if if Juice Scruggs can win the center job, then that means they got two ones. They got Shaq Mason. I'm sorry, three ones a two and Shaq Mason in their offensive line. And even though they don't have a great receiver, they've got guys that can be competent. Uh, 
And I'm really fired up seeing Dalton Schultz. And they're going to run the heck out of the ball. And I think that's great for a rookie quarterback. So I can't wait to see what they do. And that it's it just the 49ers make so many big plays. And the other thing you guys know, if you can't block downfield, you're not going to be on this team. That means wide receivers, tight ends, everybody's got to block until the whistle blows. They demand it. And it doesn't matter how well you catch. If you don't get with the program, you won't be part of the program. All right, General, let's take the quarterback, quarterbacks out of this this question. There is – you have to – this guy has to play 17 games for the Texans to be successful. Like, this guy cannot be hurt. You can't miss him. He's got to play all – six. let's give 16 games. 16 or 17 games, a full season – you cannot afford to lose this player on the Texans this year for any more than a game. Who is that player for the Texans this year? Well, on offense, it's got to be Damian Pierce because he's the best offensive player they have right now. And plus, he's so crucial to what they want to do. Now, do I think he's going to play 16 games? That's hard for running backs to play that anymore. But if it's one, it would be him on defense. If I could pick a defense, I'd say Will Anderson Jr. Will Anderson Jr., has the ability to, I think, he has the ability to become the first double-digit sack guy for the Texans since uh, J.J. Watt in 2018. Now, I'd like to say C.J. Stroud overall, but he is a rookie. And uh, it's hard to say a rookie is the most important. The Texans certainly wouldn't say it because they don't like to acknowledge rookies. But I would say Pierce and Anderson – Anderson's a rookie, but man, he's the highest rated defensive player in the draft. I went back and looked at all the people's ratings that I respect and trust. So many of them had Anderson as the highest rated player over Bryce Young. And then he is, uh, so many of them are picking him as defensive rookie of the year, like they're picking B. John Robinson as the offensive rookie of the year. John McClain with us. General, this is going to be like a Gallup poll every week. So, latest thoughts. Week one, does C.J. Stroud start or not? We haven't seen one stitch of anything he's done, but it's fun to talk about. What do you think? He better. Uh, (laughs) I think that's why they drafted him second overall, second eyes in uh, team history. There'd be no reason not to start him. If they didn't start him at Baltimore, everybody's going, oh, boy, they're worried he's going to get – roughed up and is going to hurt his confidence. No, put him in there. He started two years. He played in a big-time program. He played in crowds much bigger than he'll face in the NFL. People always act like NFL stadiums are not as big as these college stadiums. So he's been been to Michigan and Penn State, and so I think there's not anything that he's not going to be able to handle. He's going to make mistakes, but when it comes to the pressure of the NFL – it's not like he's coming from, uh, you know, Texas State, and uh, so I or Morehead State like Phil Sims, and so I think he will be starting the first game. I think they'll they'll start him at third. He'll work his way up, but Keenum, then eventually Mills, and they may not make that official till they play the Ravens. General, assume everybody is going to be healthy, and that's a big assumption. How much better do you think, just right now on paper? The Texans are in the trenches than they were last year. And, I mean, you can finish it as if last year was a, a five, then this year it's a 
what number? What? How different do you think the trenches actually are this year versus last year? Well, first of all, they've had a new offensive line coach four years in a row, which is just pathetic. You know, the instability in the offensive line with the coaches is ridiculous. Titus Howard's had a different coach every year. And you ask anybody in the NFL, as you guys know, stability and chemistry are so important in the offensive line. So they have a coach in Chris Strasser who two years ago, everybody said he had the best offensive line in the NFL with the Colts. And all of a sudden, Jonathan Taylor gets hurt, and people are like, oh, that guy can't coach. Well, you know what? If Jonathan Taylor had played every game last year, would he have been looked at as a better coach? Would they have won some more games? I'm guessing they would have. So the Texans, D'Amico Ryan's got him. And so he's proved he can coach good players. And uh, so I think they're going to be dramatically improved. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be a 10 or a 9 among the best, but I'd say they could jump up to a 7 or 8. And on well, the defense, to... now you're talking about both lines. You said in the trenches. Yes, just in well, the trenches, the de- both sides of the ball. In the defensive line, Jock Cesaro's back as a defensive line coach. But – as you guys know, they – I don't want to use pathetic again – putrid against the run for the last three years. And it's inexcusable. Players come and go. Coaches come and go. Schemes change, and they are awful at stopping the run. And I don't know how they'll do it, but I'm guessing D'Amico Ryans is a great defensive player, great coordinator. He and Matt Burke, the new coordinator, they're going to find a way not to jump into the top 10, but just not be the worst that they've been in in franchise history. I think that'll start. I think some of these guys, they added free agency like Sheldon Rankins and uh, Hassan Ridgeway will help them. And, uh, you know, Will Anderson's underrated against run because anybody thinks about his pass rush. And I'll bet you that Nick Casario is going to add you know, there's a lot of free agents out there. And I'll bet you Casario's going to sign a couple more. And you can't have too many defensive linemen. And, of course, the linebackers have something to do with that. You know, Christian Harris should be even better in his second season. Henry Toto was really good at Alabama. But the DBs made too many tackles here. And I think they have to get better up front. So I would think the offense, if both of them were five, would jump up to like a seven or eight in the defensive line. Boy, Will Anderson against the run against for the pass rush would make them like at least a six, but I'm not as confident in the defensive line as the offensive line. John, it's May 18th, so let's talk about game day. Because last week, not only did the schedule come out, the preseason schedule came out. The, the Texans have two games on the road in the preseason. I think this is good to open on the road in the preseason as they will open on the road in the regular season. And tell me what kind of challenges they're going to have and wrinkles they'll have to iron out with D'Amico Ryan's first time head coach, Bobby Sloak, coordinating the offense for the first time and the communication and those kinds of things involved in getting the operation right in those preseason games so they're ready for the regular season opener? Well, I don't know, but I'm guessing they're going to have some joint practices against somebody. You know, the Patriots do it every year, but usually they go on the road to do it. They're playing them at home. Uh, New Orleans would be a natural. Remember the last time we were there and the Texans and Saints got into it and they had to stop it because of all the fights. But I'm yep. guessing D'Amico's going to want some joint practices. The more act- And coaches love them more than preseason games. And so with a new coach, with, with two new coordinators, 
including Bobby Slowick, who's never been a play caller. I thought it was very interesting. I talked to Kyle Shanahan, and we were talking about he thinks Bobby Slowick's going to be a coach without a shadow of a doubt. Now, he's been with him for nine years. Those two finished each other's sentences. He said last year the 49ers had the best offense he'd ever been part of, and his Atlanta offense that went to the Super Bowl averaged over 30 points a game. And he said it was not a coincidence that Bobby had more authority than he ever had since he got here. And he also pointed out, had he stayed there with an established team, he could have become a head coach quicker, but he wanted to come here and call plays because he said he thought it was vital that he call plays and take your lumps and be experienced success and failure. And that says a lot about slowing. And so he needs to, he's going to be calling plays. He's not going to give away anything, of course. But one of the things the players have to learn and the coaches have to learn, you know, you can be coaching a position and some guys learn quick and some don't. You can't coach them all the same. Some are incapable of doing mentally what others do. And uh, so they have to figure all that out. And the best way to do it is in preseason and joint practices and even camp when they can't hit. But uh, I, I, uh, I think because D'Amico play 11 years, makes 10 years, makes such a big difference for him, knowing how to be ready. Because he was there under Gary Kubiak, got, got here at the same time. And, I, you know, he not, it's weird. D'Amico doesn't have a lot of experience as assistant coach. You know, he's got six years, two years as coordinator. But because he played all those years, that helps make him even more prepared for what players go through. John, today the Texans made official Byron Cowart, one of the best athletes I've seen on a defensive line, hasn't played up to that level. But they also announced the acquisition of Shaquille Griffin at corner. What do you make of the Griffin acquisition, knowing Steven Nelson and Derek Stingley are fairly entrenched at those two corner spots? What do you make of Griffin being signed the 90-man roster. And Desmond King played pretty well as a slot corner. Yeah, I just, absolutely. he's you know, he's there because a veteran who, I can't even remember who else they have, but they've got Tavier Thomas. they got four guys that have played pretty well for them. And uh, Stingley, I'm guessing, is going to be used differently. They're going to put him out there and let him cover people, man, and which is what he does best. And uh, so Shaquille Griffin's a veteran. He'll go in there and compete for a backup role. And I'm still interested to see if they bring in another veteran safety. They We figure Jimmy Ward will be the starter, but Jimmy Ward was nickel last year, and he's going to be 34 years old. So it's not guaranteed that he's going to come in here because he spent nine years with the 49ers and six with D'Amico Ryans and automatically be a starter and play well. So I'm, I can't wait to see if Nick Osario tweaks the safety position. John, what's going on in Jacksonville with the stadium renovation and all this talk about Europe? I know they have two games in a row there this year, but what about the future there? Will they eventually move to England? Will will there be a division of some sort? And I guess the stadium has to be redone anyway because of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I will still call it that. But tell me your vision of the landscape in Jacksonville and what Shad Khan's going to do. Well, first of all, they can make so much more money playing in England than they can in Jacksonville. You go to such a small, you go from such a small market to a, a market where you sell eighty thousand without people even know who you're playing. 
I mean, it's, it's so weird. Last year was the first time NFL had ever had a game with two teams with a winning record over there. One reason was they stuck them with Jacksonville every year. And if they're going to renovate that stadium, they need them to sign a long-term lease. And if they don't sign that long-term lease, that's going to tell us the plans because that lease is up in a in a in two or three years, I think. And if they if they taxpayers spend money to, and I'm not exactly sure what they'll do, but if they're going to spend that money, Shad Khan's going to have to pony up on a long-term lease. And we'll find out then. You know, they say if they're going to put one team over there, they got to put two. They're not going. To, they may put one in London. They got to go to Germany because Germany is an incredible market. It wasn't NFL Europe. Uh, it was uh, because there's so many American bases over there. I remember Oliver Love, who was a GM of the Frankfurt Galaxy, and did such a great job selling tickets and promoting. They made him president of NFL Europe. Oliver did German TV on the Super East Fluent German. So he was the analyst for the Super Bowl for years after his career ended with the Oilers. And he used to tell me about how fanatical the German fans were about the NFL. And that's back when they were playing preseason games in in, uh, in Europe. So uh, I think when they do it, they're going to do two. But one reason, you know, the thing is, there's not enough uh, – good quarterbacks to go around as it is. But the fact is, you know, the poor old NFL needs all the money it can get. The owners are about to go <laughs> broke. So if they find another way, they'll get another hundred million here and another hundred million there. Of course, they're going to do it. And something to keep in mind, it used to be to spread the brand. You want people wearing, uh, wearing NFL gear all over Europe. And that's still important, but now it's gambling. Because they've been gambling over there a lot, officially, a lot sooner than we have. And they are uh, diehard gamblers. And so the NFL's on its way to making $100 billion off of gambling. So the expansion is coming at some point. Don't know when, but it's inevitable. As soon as they did redid that Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to, in, to NFL specifications, you knew the plan is eventually to put a team there. General, who does Ryan Tannehill play his games for in 2023? In 2023, he'll be playing for the Titans. And uh, he'll he'll play till they're out of it or he gets hurt. And then they'll play Will Levis. I'm guessing by the time, you know, they were 500 with Tannehill last year until he got hurt. And that was without A.J. Brown. And so I'm guessing when the Texans play the Titans, and by the time they get around to that, they'll be playing against Will Levis. General, SportsRadio610.com, you have that column. You also have Utopia Podcast. Anything else to promote tonight, sir? There's columns I've got on there. One about Juice Scruggs and C.J. Stroud using the rookie minicamp to start to build their relationship on and off the field. They didn't trade into the second round to get Scruggs to play guard. They got him to play center. And those two at some point will be starting together. And the Texans hope they'll be starting together for a long time. And I'm doing one now about the start of OTAs and what's expected of each of the draft choices. Guys, thank you very much as always. It's always a lot of fun. Always, every Thursday night with the General John McClain. All right, coming up, who's better with John Harris? We've got a lot of things going on tonight, including Texans acquisitions, draft choices, and free agents. How are they going to work out? Plus, quarterbacks, they always come up in the conversation. Who's better? Next, Texans Radio. Texans All Access continues in a moment. 
Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. All right, let's keep it going here. Mark Vandermeer, John Harris, time to play. Who's better? Earlier this week, Johnny, we were talking about prospects heading into a given draft. So because of Webby being the greatest prospect in the history of team sports, according to Woj or whatever that he said, uh, let's talk about this here. We talked about the best NFL prospect going into a draft in the last 20 years. And somebody brought up Peyton Manning. That was more than 20 years ago. Okay. So we brought up Andrew Luck and somebody else on Twitter later responded with what about Joe Burrow? Now I know that Joe Burrow was not considered as good a prospect as Luck, but I'm going to go this way. Who's better? Who was better as a prospect heading into the draft Burrow or Trevor Lawrence, who was a better prospect going into his draft? They're both number one overall picks. Go. Trevor. Even though Joe Burrow was fantastic, I think a lot, you know there was still a part of some people going, hey, wait a second, he just did this for a year. Now, I felt like in 2018 he was good. And he was it, it bordering on good. 2019, his game went to a whole different level. And, you know, we've seen that before. When a guy is superb for one year, what do we do? Oh, is he a one-year wonder? Because 2018 was okay, but, man, all of a sudden, oh, he got Joe Brady. We got this offense. Look at his receivers. All his receivers are going to go in the first and second round. I don't know that people perceived Joe as that guy. I think they thought in this draft, Joe's the guy. He has proven that he can handle – uh, running an NFL offense, he's really proven, but he's only done it for a year. So, yeah, I, I like Joe, but, you know, I think there's some wait and see. With Trevor, it was from day one, seeing him as a freshman, that's the guy. There's no question he is him, as they would say. So, I didn't have any doubt about Trevor. After watching Joe Burrow in 2019, I felt like Joe's really good, man. I think he's going to be a really good NFL quarterback. But it was not like that from jump. I mean, the guy started at Ohio State. He doesn't win the job uh, over Dwayne Haskins. So he goes to LSU. It's okay in 18. 19, he sets the world on fire, and he just hasn't stopped since. So I think Trevor was the better prospect. I had him rated a little bit higher um, than I did Joe Burrow. But still, pretty close because I felt like what you saw from Joe was translatable to the NFL. And the same with Trevor. Trevor was just a... 6'6", 220-pound super freak. Joe's 6'3", 210. I mean, there's nothing to scoff at. But Trevor was that guy from the time he was at Cartersville High School back in Georgia. They're both skyscrapers compared to one Bryce Young. All right, that was too easy. Uh, And maybe Derek Stingley Jr. can pick pick off his former teammate when the Texans visit Cincinnati this year. That'll be fun to watch. All right, let's do this one now. We'll go to the Texans, and we'll go back to the quarterback conversation at large. Who's better, better chance to make a bigger impact right away for the Houston Texans? And by right away, I mean this season. These are acquisitions in the free agent market. Jimmy Ward or Dalton Schultz? Different sides of the ball, obviously different positions. Jimmy Ward, the safety. Dalton Schultz, the tight end. By the way, the team dismissed Eric Tomlinson today, who had spent some time with them previously at other NFL teams, but Schultz, a nice acquisition for them in that position group. So Jimmy Ward or Dalton Schultz, bigger impact. What do you think? I think the the impact of Dalton Schultz will be seen by more people. I think the impact of Jimmy Ward on a young defense 
will maybe be more intrinsically seen and maybe more by the coaches and the players um, than it will maybe – because Dalton Schultz, you're going to see him catch five, six balls a game. You know, he's going to catch – you know, hopefully if he's fully healthy, he's going to catch 70, 75 passes. Because if I'm C.J. Stroud and I'm getting heat, I'm going hot and I'm going to Schultz. So I think we're going to see the Schultz impact. I think Jimmy's impact from a leadership standpoint, getting everybody in the secondary lined up, his versatility – when he's asked to do something, he might have to play nickel again. If he does, I think he'll be fine uh, doing that. But I think Ward's impact will be different than Schultz. I think the fans will see it, Schultz, because, well, it's easy to see him catch passes. I think with Jimmy, a lot of it is going to be making sure guys are lined up, they got the right call, communication, all those things that I don't want to say we take for granted. I don't think we take for granted as fans, but I don't know that we could see that happening. I think that's where Ward's impact is going to be felt. So, in the end, I think it's going to be Ward. But I think it's going to be more visible, the fact that it's Dalton Schultz, because he's going to be catching, I hope, 70 to 75 passes this year. Okay, we'll see. Let's go draft choices in this category. Who's better? Better chance to make a bigger impact this season. Dylan Horton, outside, playing on that edge, making things happen in the pass rush department. Or Henry Toa Toa, linebacker, who might play more than a lot of people think. We'll see how it goes. Your thoughts? Man, linebackers really become interesting because you added Denzel Perriman, you added Corey Littleton, you still have Christian Kirksey, and you obviously have Christian Harris. So you got four guys. Now Toa Toa's got to break into that. I think if Garrett Wallow is healthy, I'm not saying he's going to end up being a starter, but if Garrett Wallow is back to being healthy, before he got hurt in training camp last year, Wallow was the best linebacker of that group before he got hurt. And he never really found it again. So if Garrett Wallow is healthy, okay, this is a, it's a, well, that's a tough nut to crack for Henry Toa Toa. Dylan Horton, I don't think that nut is as difficult to crack. If you think of what's there on the edge and the fact that you can take Horton and you can move him inside on pass rush downs to create some mismatches against guards and maybe centers, I think there's an opportunity for Horton in specialized situations early on uh, to to show what he can do in the pass rush. I think it's going to be tougher for Henry to get on the field at linebacker. Now, if you told me week one, Henry Toa Toa starts next to Christian Harris, would I bat an eye? No. I think he could handle it. He's been at every high-level situation you can be in. He played at Dale Sal in high school in California. He played at Tennessee and Alabama in college. There isn't anything that's going to scare that guy. So if you told me Toa Toa start, was starting again with Christian Harris or Toa Toa starts next to Denzel Perryman uh, because Harris is banged up or whatever in week one, I'm not batting an eye. I think that ends up being, being okay. I don't think it happens. I do think that Dylan Horton is going to make his presence felt in the pass rush, kind of like Rasheem Green, but not the physical you know, presence of Rasheem Green. That said, I think Dylan Horton gives them more violence, football violence, uh, and more pass rush ability overall than they would have gotten from bringing Green back. All right, let's continue here. Back to the quarterbacks. Who's better? Better chance to salvage his situation. Sam Darnold, now with the San Francisco 49ers, or Baker Mayfield with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Darnold probably doesn't play if Brock Purdy's available early, but he might get to play if Brock Purdy needs more recovery time. Baker, however, has a legit chance to win a starting job and resurrect his career. Thoughts? 
I think you you outlined it perfectly. To me, this is a vote for Kyle Shanahan uh, before it is anybody on the Bucks offensive staff, if, if we're being honest here, because I think Sam Darnold has got – I think we saw some of that with Carolina last year. You saw some of that skill coming forth when he had some weapons and he felt comfortable in the offense after Baker left. Um, I, thought, I thought Sam played pretty well. I mean, I, I watched Sam for a number of games because I thought, okay – you know, what if we – I mean, I feel like we're going to draft a quarterback, but what if What if we're not going to? What if we go the free agent route? What about Sam? Would Sam make some sense for us? So I watched Sam a few games last year down the stretch, and I'm watching thinking that's a different guy uh, than was there, um, you know, with the Jets. I'm thinking that's a different guy than we've seen in other spots. So I didn't feel so bad about Sam, and now you put him in the 49er offense where he's got every weapon he could imagine. And he's got Kyle Shanahan who's pulling the trigger and calling plays, et cetera. So I think that Sam Darnold, here's my bold prediction. Brock Purdy isn't quite ready to go in September. And Sam Darnold gets the Niners off the three and one. And then Purdy will take over and then take them the rest of the way. But because Purdy or because Darnold has that start, he's going to get an opportunity to go somewhere and do something big after this year because people start seeing him as, you know what, all right, I think Kyle rehabbed him. I think we can do something with Sam. All that seeing ghosts and stuff he was talking about in New York, that's all behind him. I think Darnold ends up being a guy that wins by playing three or four games to start this year and 2024. Teams that don't have a high draft pick but need a quarterback will look at him and say, hey, we think we can do something with him. You won't have Kyle Shanahan calling those plays, but I do think that Sam Darnold's career is going to get resurrected in San Francisco. Okay, who's better? One more for you. And with Peacock airing a playoff game, Amazon has the Thursday night slate. Who's better? Who's the best? Which is the best streaming service? NFL availability aside, let's just go in general here. You have Amazon, Peacock, Apple, HBO Max, Hulu, etc. Netflix, of course. Thoughts? Ooh, that's tough. I think I have all those. Um Man, that's a really good one. I feel like I have less issues with Amazon. You know, I would say YouTube TV, um, but YouTube TV had a big issue last night uh, with the Celtics in the Heat game, which got NFL Sunday ticket uh, potential subscribers a little iffy. Like, oh, my gosh, if they can't handle a playoff game, what are they going to do to my NFL game? Uh, So there's a little bit of that. Now, I will will say for YouTube TV, and I just use the product. I'm not a spokesman. I've never had an issue with YouTube TV. It's the best streaming service that I've had. I mean, any of them. It's fantastic. That last night was a blip. I've never seen that happen before on YouTube TV. What happened? Apparently, there were parts of the game that were just gone. They couldn't connect to TNT. And so there were portions of the game that were just gone. Just they Yikes. put a graphic up there essentially saying technical difficulties. I feel like I was back at 1560. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, they had an issue with that. And so there were parts of the game and people were, of course, going to, to you know Twitter to complain. I've never, Mark, I've never, I've had YouTube TV for three years now. I have never had an issue. Never. Yeah, YouTube but what's TV the original the programming? Streamer. What's the original programming on YouTube other than everybody? YouTube depends on the content creators, meaning us, to provide yeah. it with stuff. And I know the NFL is going to be on there, so great for them. 
But the others, you know, they try to create some programming, not create, but buy programming to make themselves unique, like Apple with the morning show yeah. and Ted Lasso and Hulu with the Handmaid's Tale. That's the first one that came to my mind anyway. With with content creation, man, uh, Hulu's really good with some of the documentaries they have. I mean, they're all, they're all pretty similar, but... Oh, boy, I can't believe I'm going to say this. HBO Max has Uh friends, and this is a friend's family, so I'm going HBO. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That is such a That's my decider. (laughs) That's a lunchtime confession if I ever heard it. Friends. All right. Next up, let's go around the league and uh, get into some things, including but not limited to, hey, there's a report out at where Super Bowl 60, wow, 60 Mm. might be. Let's get into that next here, among other things, on Texans Radio. More Texans Radio is on the way. We return to Texans All Access. Boy, that spot really makes me want to get some tickets, man. Let's go. Oh, we're going to be there anyway, and I'm excited. Very Texans football coming up, coming to a stadium near you in 2023. All right, Super Bowls, Johnny. There's a report out that, San Francisco is in good shape to get Super Bowl 60. They had 50. Remember, we had 51 here. I'd love to get 61 back here. That'd be nice. But thoughts on this as the next one will be in Vegas, the one after that in New Orleans, and then we're talking about Super Bowl 60 in San Francisco, reportedly, allegedly, maybe. Ooh, that'd be the one. What What are we on right now? Uh, we're, on, we're, go, we're going into 58, yeah. 58. Okay, so 58, 59, 60. Yeah, so that's the one the Texans will be in in, in Super Bowl 60 out in San Francisco. Uh, how apropos would that be if out in Santa Clara, Miko Ryans leads the Texans into the Super Bowl? I think you got a shot. I think you got a shot at New Orleans next year. Come on. Let's be optimistic here. Oh, no, Come I on. Just, I know. I just was fast forwarding to 60. I mean, if you want to go on a little run, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm just thinking of places where – I'm thinking of places where Super Bowl would be kind of cool. I mean, San Francisco would be cool. You know, I mean, that'd be a, yeah. Santa Clara, I should say. That'd, that'd be a great spot for a Super Bowl as long as the weather holds up, um, which in February, I mean, who's to say what the weather can be? You know, in New Orleans, they've put on a Super Bowl or three before, so you know what that's going to be. But I, I, li- I would like it in San Francisco. That'd be pretty cool. All right, thoughts on the Patriots draft class of 2019. Nobody <laughs> left. All right. But it's not that funny because we have two of the players here, and we're hoping they resurrect things, all right? That Chase Winovich and Byron Cowart, who reportedly signed here this week, work out wonderfully for the Houston Texans. But it is interesting that the Patriots draft class 2019. Now, to be fair, so that's four years of that class, so nobody gets that fifth year in that organization, right? Obviously not the first-round pick. And then you have everybody else not getting that renewal. Yeah, and I, I want to, in some sense, def- defend our guy Nick Casario. The rumor, the rumor was that uh, that Nick and and Monty Asifor and a few others uh, did not want to kill Harry. That it was it was Bill Belichick who really wanted to kill Harry. But again, you know, I mean, who's to say? I mean, Bill makes the decisions up there. Um, and that was a look. It's a it's a bad. It was a bad draft. You know, it was also a bad draft for the for the New England Patriots. The year two thousand. Go look at the year two thousand draft and just omit pick one ninety nine, and look at that draft because it's brutal. Oh, except for that guy, and he just ends up being arguably the greatest uh, NFL player we've ever seen. That's Tom Brady. So they've had some bad drafts before, but then they've also 
drafted Rob Gronkowski in the second. They drafted Julian Edelman in the seventh round. Um, they have made shrewd moves all the way along. But that is, I, I think, kind of the nasty little secret when you look at the Patriots drafts lately. They have not been good. They have not been good the last last couple of years. Um, it wasn't a good one in 2000, in 2019. I mean, they kind of knew Nikhil Harry was not the guy. Uh, about a, Not even halfway through that year, there was already grumblings about, oh, man, did they really mess this up on Nikhil Harry? So, um, and, he was, and, of course, he was drafted down at the bottom of the round because that's where the Patriots have drafted. But they also drafted Logan Mankins near the bottom of the first round. So it's an organization that has had a lot of success over the years. It is hard to poke a lot of holes, but – you can in some of the draft things that they've done, uh, especially recently. All right, XFL Championship game. The Rocks League gets 1.43 million viewers on ABC. That's a pretty decent number yep. for a spring league. USFL in progress. How much spring football are you watching, Johnny? Not as much because I was so locked in on, on the draft. Um, you know, I was kind of, you know, it's locked in on, on the college guys getting ready for the draft. But, you know, if a game, if I was in the kitchen cooking, um, and we got a little small TV in there. I turn it on and and watch it while I was cooking and see some of the guys playing. And you know, I I feel like the XFL and USFL are putting out good product football. I don't feel like it's oh my god, this is turn your head away. It's ten fumbles a game. I feel like it's really good spring football um, with guys that have desires on going to the next. You know, some guys going back up to the NFL. Some guys getting a first shot at the NFL. I think it's good football. Um, and I don't mind it at all. What did you say, $1.43 million? That's a pretty good number yep. for the XFL. Good for The Rock, good for Danny Garcia, good for what they're doing. I, I'm going to out myself here because I complained about arena football, and I always complained about the CFL with their running start for the receivers, whatever that is, that weird-looking head start. They, it's not a head start. They're not supposed to cross the line of scrimmage before the snap, but it looks like they do on every freaking snap. And I always complain about that and the high-scoring nature of those games. But now that I'm watching more standard football in the spring, I'm thinking, why aren't you guys getting wild? Get wild. Get more ratings. Get interesting. But I know what you mean. It looks pretty solid, although it looks kind of standard. And if you're not into the teams, I always think you got to be into the drama, the meaning of it all. And the NFL being a great reality show contributes to that. All right, that's it for the show tonight. we got a good one for you tomorrow. A lot of guests. So we'll set that up for you tomorrow at 6 with Texans All Access. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, John McClain. And thank you, Chris, for producing this program, which will be up on podcast soon enough. Have a great night. Go Texans.